Let us unite together in prayer. Our Father, as we come to turn to your word, we pray that you would open our eyes that we would see you, our ears that we would hear your voice, our minds that we would understand your truth, and our lips that would go forth and tell of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's true to say that all of us have our various routines in life. My next door neighbour gets up every morning, I'm not sure what time he gets up at, but uh, we live in a little cul-de-sac, and at 17 minutes past six every morning, his front door slams closed, car is off to go to his work in Belfast. And that's the beginning of his daily routine. And all of us have routines. It may be associated with our work, getting up and going out, or if we're retired, we may have other routines and we ha do certain things in our homes on a, on a certain day. Maybe on a Friday evening, some people like to go to the supermarket or on a Sunday afternoon, we maybe visit friends uh, and family. Uh, and all of us have different routines in life. On Thursday night, my routine of going to bed around about a quarter to half past eleven was seriously interrupted because I had that desire to sit up and watch the election results. Of course, when the exit poll came out at 10 o'clock, basically predicting what was going to happen, it sort of spoiled the excitement and the enthusiasm of the evening. But be that as it may, but on that particular evening, I'm sure in certain circles there was tension, and nervousness, there was excitement and anticipation, there was elation and there was disappointment. At the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, a series of what appeared to be unrelated events had and would take place. Right away back, of course, at nearly the beginning of time, if we could even put it like that, of course, our first parents sinned. And in response to that sin, God had planned for their salvation through the calling of Abraham, who was to be the leader of the nation of Israel, or the founder of the nation of Israel. And then, of course, there were the prophets who were called, and they were to address the problems that there were in Israel. And ultimately, then, the angel came, appearing to Mary... Then there was the call of Caesar Augustus for the political census in the community. There was the story of the angels on the hillside. There was the wise men coming from the east. And there was the opposition of Herod. And all these different and unrelated, apparently, events were conspiring together in order to culminate in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was, at that time, just as there was possibly on Thursday evening. There was an element of tension, excitement, elation and disappointment as the whole drama of that event unfolded in the lives of different individuals. And this evening for a few moments I want us just to look at 
together at some of the reactions that there was at that particular time to the inbreaking of Jesus Christ, God's Son, into our world. I want to begin, first of all, by looking at what I suppose we could call the anthem of the angels. The announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ, of course, was to the shepherds on the hillside. And just for a moment, picture the scene. The scene was the shepherds were working together. Night had come. They had rounded up their sheep. They were sitting around possibly a crackling fire. In the distance there would be the howl of a wolf that they wanted to make sure they could ward off from the sheep and keep them safe on that particular evening. There was the muffled voices of the shepherds suddenly uh, talking away the one to another. And then all this was eclipsed by some rather dramatic introduction that they experienced by a radiant light as an angel came and interrupted their routine and the boredom of the starry night. And remember what happened. The shepherds were initially terrified, as probably any of us would have been under those circumstances, but the angel was very quick to suddenly speak up and say, don't be afraid. I'm here to be the bearer of good news, because today in the town of David, a saviour is born, and you're to go and see. And then the angel said something else. And this will be a sign. You will go and you'll find the babe in a manger. And after the message was delivered, as we know from the scriptures, a great choir of angels came and they flooded the skies with light and they sang hosannas to the Lord. On that night, as it were, heaven touched earth announcing that the promised Messiah had been born. And before we move on just for a moment, let's just pause and think. And I find this quite amazing. Think who God chose to be the bearer of that news of the birth of his son to the community around where the shepherds were. Yes, he chose the shepherds. People who were, as far as spiritual things were concerned, totally and completely insignificant. They were at the bottom of the social pile. It wasn't to the great church leaders of the day that he went, but it was to these individuals in their socially depraved situation. And God, in some respects, was reversing what one would have expected to happen. Remember the wise men, what did they do? Well, they naturally went to Herod's palace to see where they could find this newborn babe. And that was possibly the natural thing to do. But that wasn't where the information was to be found. It was to be found with the shepherds. And it was a New Testament scholar who said that in the context of the birth of Jesus Christ, this was the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God in all its apparent weakness, insignificance, and vulnerability over and against the kingdoms of this world. And Luke enables his readers to focus on the stable, 
with its poverty and its insignificance over and against the political activities that were going on at that particular time under the authority of Caesar Augustus. And there's something you know that makes me smile when I think about all this. And what makes me smile is that often within the church we do things in a reverse order. The people who we think may be the people who ought to be slotted into positions are not always the people who maybe God thinks. And I have often found in my life that God has used people who are insignificant in their own way, but yet they can be used for God's glory. And I say this because so often within the church, there are folks and, and we come and we sit and we're not involved in leadership at all, but we say, you know, I'm not an important cog in the machine. I, I, I'm a very much, I feel that, well, I have very little contribution to make. I was saying to somebody the other day, they were asking me who uh, were the people who had an influence, a significant influence in my life. And, and I was able to rhyme off one or two people who had a significant influence in my life. But I also added to that list a wee street boy who lived in Malawi and who I met on one occasion when I was out there. His mother, unfortunately, had been murdered through witchcraft and he had been thrown out onto the street by his father who had uh, shacked up with, a, with another woman. And, and he had got himself involved in drugs. And there was a group of us over and eventually this wee boy was converted. And he has made a tremendous impact on the lives of many people in his community. And he's used by, by those of us who have got uh, a work going on out there in order to, to oversee all that is going on. And he's made a tremendous impact. Uh, the people in the church initially scratched their head and they said, I wonder is it wise to, to allow this person to, to have responsibility at that particular level? Think about his background. But his background was in the past because the Lord had laid his hand upon him and he was able to do and continues to do a significant work. There's not one of us in here this evening, no matter who we are and no matter what we think about ourselves, who is so insignificant that God can't use us. God can use every individual here for his glory, whether it's only inviting people to come to something. And so often that can make such an impact for God. The story is told about a, a church in Scotland where the minister felt that it would be good to have a mission and there were some people who were not terribly enthusiastic about it. But they went ahead and had the mission and after the mission was over, those who were lacking in enthusiasm came to the minister and said, well, what were the results of all this praying and finance and all that we did in order to, to have this mission? minister said, well, we had a convert. And, and who was the convert? Oh, we David was converted. We David was his Christian name. Livingstone was his surname. And David Livingstone went to 
Africa and basically opened the continent of Africa for the gospel. It doesn't matter how insignificant we may feel that we are, God can use us. There was the anthem of the angels as they they were told they, they told the, the shepherds, and the shepherds did what they were asked, and when they went, they saw, they went out and they witnessed to what they saw. And people believed and were amazed at what was going on. But then, secondly, there was the wanderings of the wise men. Some people would say nowadays that the coming of the wise men from the East was a lovely addition to add to a sentimental story. But the Christian church doesn't need to be embarrassed by the inclusion of the wise men in what was happening. Because at the time, there was a strong expectation of the fact that the Messiah would come. And we discovered that that, of course, was the case. A few years ago, I was given a book, and it was entitled The Great Christ Comet. It was written by a man called Colin Nicholl, who taught in Cambridge University. And scholars from many different disciplines, Christian and non-Christian, described his work as a stunning work. It was an outstanding book, someone said. It was breathtaking in its range of scholarship. It was the story of the star. And it traces the behavior, as it were, of the particular star that was followed by the wise men. Now, this is not a, a science class this evening, other than just to simply say that the wise men followed it. And what did the wise men come to do? The wise men came in order to worship. They weren't just there to pay homage, as you would to a, an earthly monarch. That wasn't what they were going to do. The Bible tells us that they were there in order to worship. And they were there to worship not only uh, one who could have been conceived as an earthly king in the minds of some, but he was there to, they were there to worship the heavenly king. And they were there, and they did just that. And at the cradle, when the wise men came, we discovered they presented certain gifts, which were not only a token of a gift that they just simply wanted to give because of this was a new baby, but these gifts had a spiritual as well as a practical application. The gift of gold. A gift that normally would be afforded to royalty. And of course Jesus Christ was born to be king. A king who would rule by love and not by force. And at the cradle royalty was alluded to. Frankincense. A gift that was offered very often by the priest in the temple when the priest had the responsibility to bridge that gulf, as it were, between man and God when he went into the Holy of Holies and there he interceded on behalf of the nation. And here, what was happening? We discovered that at the cradle, the gift of frankincense was in some ways a forerunner to what Jesus Christ was going to be, the great high priest who would intercede on behalf of his people 
in order that they might have their sins forgiven. And at the, at the cradle, his priestly office was acknowledged. And then the gift of mirror, the gift that would be given to one who was dying, a, a, a preservative of the body. The cradle here was surely a pointer to the cross. The wise men were convinced that Jesus Christ was no ordinary man, that he was the anointed one of God. Had the carol been sung at that particular time, the wise men, I believe, would have said amen to it when the words were penned, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, right, life and light to all he gives, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And as we know, the second birth that that carol speaks about is the new birth. And the new birth is not just turning over a new leaf. It's not just having a New Year's resolution. It's not just resolving to try and live a better life. But the new birth is a supernatural work of God in your heart and mind that enables us to exercise saving faith as we receive pardon for our past, as we have peace in our hearts in the present, and as it leads to hope for the future. The wise men had an insight into who Jesus Christ was. And the question is, do we have that insight? Do we realize precisely who he was, that he was God's son, come into this world for a particular purpose, to do a work, to found his church? Yes, he came to teach, he came to show us an example to follow, but primarily he came that through his death, people would then become Christians as they exercise saving faith, and the church of Jesus Christ would be composed of all those who in every age and generation and nationality would respond to his love and grace. And as we so often uh, read at the Christmas season from, first, from John chapter 1, For as many as receive him, to them give he the right to become the children of God. And we need to ask ourselves, and I'm sure... Uh, I need to ask it even this evening. Are we sure in our own hearts that we are God's children? You know, the, the older I, I am in the ministry, the more convinced I am of the awful ignorance that there is within our society with regard to Christian things. How many of you men, uh, and you go to a funeral and you're, you're coming out of the graveyard and Somebody else turns to you and said, oh, you know, we're all going the same way anyway. You know, we're all the children of God. I remember uh, been in the home of a, wee, of a family one day, and the wee boy, it was his birthday the next day. And he was, his mum said, you know, he's all excited, his birthday's tomorrow. And I said, you know, well, what's the great excitement about you getting a party, having a party, or are you, are you getting a special present? Why are you excited? And he said, because tomorrow, he said, I'll be a teenager. And that was the big thing, to, to be a teenager as far as he was concerned. He was 12, and the next day he was going to be 13. Now, there are some of us in here, and we've maybe been looking forward to this, or maybe not been looking forward to it. You're, you're pensioners. What were you before you were a pensioner? You were not a pensioner. 
What were you before you were a teenager? You were not a teenager. You became a teenager. You became a pensioner. Now translate that thought into that verse. For as many as receive him, to them gave he the right to become a child of God. What are we before we become a child of God? We're not a child of God. And therefore to suggest as so many people within our society do that we're all God's children, it's an utter nonsense. And we need to clearly articulate that in order that people are not blindly being led in a direction of theological ignorance and error. The anthem of the angels, the wanderings of the wise men, and then thirdly, there was the plot within the palace. Herod at that particular time was obsessed with position and with power. He had a number of sons to, to different wives. And all of these sons were vying together to be his successor. And he himself was particularly concerned as to which one would be his successor. And there were those sons who were maybe even in their own minds hoping that their father would soon go and they would have the opportunity to take over. And he was totally paranoid about this. And when he heard of any of the sons thinking in that particular direction, he immediately executed them. And no doubt this paranoia that they had in his mind was fueled and intensified when the wise men travelled to the palace and they asked, where is this king born? And immediately he would have been getting himself all worked up and keyed up over this. And it was that reason that he, he went out and slaughtered the, the children of the area. And also, he, he remember, he told the wise men, go and find out and come back and let me know. And Matthew tells us that he was troubled. And all Jerusalem was with him was troubled. And the religious leaders were troubled. And he went to the religious leaders and said, look, where is this person to be born? And of course, with their theological insight, they were able to answer and say, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, but we don't read in the scriptures of any of them traveling the six miles up the road or so in order to see if what was being said was actually true. But in respect of Herod, Herod got it wrong. Herod was emphasizing the fact that he was a political leader and he thought that Jesus was going to usurp his authority and it was because of that that he acted as he did. And you know, within the world and the society in which you and I live today, just as I mentioned a moment ago, you know, people don't have a clue in many respects with regard to who Jesus is. Uh, I'm from the Presbyterian Church in Ireland uh, background. And as you probably know, the, the Presbyterian Church from the 2018 General Assembly has been having a hard time over uh, different uh, stands that has taken particularly on, on marriage. But there have been an avalanche of letters written to the papers condemning the church for the stance that it's taken. And many of these letters, and it's been interesting to, to read them, and very illuminating, and at the same time, uh, heartbreaking. To see from the letters 
what people believe about Jesus. What they say in many of these letters is this. They say, you know, Jesus loved everyone. They need to be given 10 out of 10 for that understanding. They say, you know, Jesus rubbed shoulders with the marginalized of the communities and people who were doing things that he disapproved of. 10 out of 10 for that observation. That is true. And very often what they have done is they have cited the individuals in the scriptures who Jesus had a particular interest in. For example, the woman at the well. The woman who was accused of committing adultery and was about to be stoned. Zacchaeus, the tax collector who extorted from people, and the rich young ruler who they read that Jesus loved him. And all these people, they're right in the fact that Jesus showed an interest and loved them. But what they don't understand is that they don't complete the story. The story of the woman at the well is that Jesus loved her and was concerned for her, but he told her to go and get her moral life sorted out. With regard to the woman who was taken in adultery, what was it he said? He said to her, go and sin no more. With regard to Zacchaeus, we're not told what the conversation was when they went to Zacchaeus' house and had a meal, but we do know the outcome of the conversation, that Zacchaeus said, well, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything up from other people unjustly, I'll willingly give them it back more full than I've taken it from them. And the rich young ruler, it says that he loved him, but when the rich young ruler didn't fit in, and follow what Jesus encouraged him to do. What did Jesus do? He let him go. And that's the other side of the coin. Yes, Jesus does love us all. But he doesn't love our sin. And he wants us to abandon it and turn from it. But yet within our society today, like Herod in his day, so many people do not understand and it's how we get that across and how we try to influence society to understand what the Bible actually teaches is one of the great challenges that faces the church today. But as we conclude, let's just quickly turn back to the, to the angels and the shepherds. The shepherds went and they told as Christian people, we're told to go out and tell. What was it Jesus said to his disciples? Go into all the world. Start in your own backyard. And we need to challenge ourselves to think about that as Christians. Are we sharing the good news? And can we use the opportunity of Christmas to do just that? And then there was the, the wise men. And they came, and what did they do? They were involved, yes, in giving of their gifts, but they were also involved in worship. They gave of their homage, but also of their worship to Jesus Christ because of who he was and what they knew about him, that he was to be the anointed one of God, the Messiah. 
And then, of course, there was Herod, who was thinking only of himself, his own position, his own prestige, his own power, and he got it entirely wrong. May we go out from here this evening as those who get it entirely right, as we read the scriptures, and as we understand that Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins, but he came also that we might be used in his service to continue to build his church, to reach out into the community around us with the glorious gospel that was embodied within him as he gave his life on the cross, as he rose from the dead, as he returned to heaven, and as he awaits the completion of his church when he comes back in power and glory, this time not as a little babe, but as the reigning Lord Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we come this evening and we give you thanks for all your goodness to us. We thank you for this season of the year and we pray that we might use it for your glory, for the extension of your kingdom, for the reaching out to those around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.